Recording. Hey, Cameron. Hi, Tyler. Welcome back. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you were gone last week. I was. Did you miss me? Uh, yeah, we definitely missed you. Um, yeah. You were in Victoria? Yeah. Was it fun? Was in, yeah, we had a great time. We were making making silly videos of a uh, day in life at Stocksy. Nice. Can't wait to see. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we're going to have to wait another week or two. Did, did you shoot any photos while you were there? Uh, barely. <laughs> I tried, but it just didn't work out. There just wasn't really that much time. It was mostly work. But right, a lot of running around and uh, yeah. sitting at computers. Yeah, I did get through a uh, a roll of Ektar in my uh, my Yashica, so hopefully... Have you hopefully shot much Ektar before? I've shot one roll of 35, and I wasn't really that pleased. There were a couple shots I liked, but overall I thought it was not really that exciting. And then... Um, couple weeks later or i guess a couple weeks ago i saw some girl's blog and god i I need to remember it so i can actually reference we can put that in the show notes but um she she just went through and like you know talked about the wonders of ektar and that's all she shoots and her colors are incredible yeah and i was yeah and I, i guess the key as to most negative film it's just to you know overexpose it and know when the right time is to use it yeah and i think you kind of have to process for it later as well like i found a lot of the i've only shot i think two rolls but i found mm-hmm. a lot of the photos were kind of useless especially of people mm-hmm. like it's really easy for the people to just look terrible and the way i saved it was in lightroom afterwards like i found it was just turning the saturation of oranges and reds back down mm mm-hmm. mhm Otherwise, people would look like they're on fire. Yeah, and I, I guess there's there's something that happens with uh, if you if you underexpose it, like the shadows go blue or something. Hmm. I, well, and I think I was I basically correctly exposing it. I wasn't over by much, if at all. So maybe that was my problem. Yeah, but uh, apparently it's it's a it's a fairly light hungry film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's rated 100 to begin with, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's certainly not going to help if you give it a, a stop or two over. Yeah. I, I would like to try it again. I, the only things that I was avoiding shooting people with it, I was intentionally trying not to get any people shots. And that's sort of like a weird way to be shooting. Like, I don't know. Like, don't let anybody walk into frame or it's going to ruin my photo. That's not how I usually think about photography. So I totally um, agree. I mean, that's, it's, it's weird. Like I, I had the, the same kind of a feeling because most of the shots that I took with the, the roll of 35, was just wasn't, digging mm-hmm. you know like i felt like the skin t- the skin tones were yucky and the skin tunes and the skin tunes were not not pretty so i yeah i don't know but i'm you know after seeing and i will i'll figure i'll find out what that what that website is so we're not, not just leading people on a I'll, you, I'll, I'll, p- I'll post the one of uh that i have at least it's mm-hmm. from korea and it's it's on my blog cool but I'm anxious. I'm excited. I bought a I bought a whole five pack of of Ektar because oh. I just you know, I was so impressed with with what this girl had done, and I was like, wow, those colors are. I always find that you can find <clears throat> somebody doing an incredible job with anything, though. Yeah, like absolutely. there's those times that I see an iPhone only photographer that it makes me wonder why I spent so much money on SLRs, or I see somebody shooting on a point and shoot, or they have a medium format camera, and really, it's like you you can get focused in on the lust of the gear that they're using. Like I need that thing so I can take photos the way they do. But the reality is usually just that they know how to take great photos. Yeah. That's, <laughs> isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always kind of comes down to that in the end, you know, 
So, um, so um, topics, big, topics big this t- week. Oh, I was I, I wasn't shooting much. I was dealing with my collection of 2014 photos. Aha! Uh-huh, back there again. Yeah. So I thought we'd discuss some of the ins and outs of managing a Lightroom library long term. Yeah, let's let's do that because um, this is a this is a forever project, right? Yeah, it is. That's a big <clears throat> thing about the way I think people should be looking at Lightroom is it's, this is a 10, 20, 30, 40 year project. And it's not all about Lightroom necessarily. This might, this might turn into something else. Maybe you move to Apple photos later or you, you know, something new, Microsoft comes out with a killer photo management app in 10 years and then you move over there or whatever happens, you need to work on it in a way that's going to scale for that amount of time for as long as possible. Yeah. Cause I mean, look 10 years ago, what were we doing? We were, I was shooting film. That's an interesting question. Know? Yeah. What, what else was happening 10 years ago? Those, uh, 2005 as of this recording. So yeah, there's a lot of film happening. Did mm-hmm. we have, what, what was digital? I was shooting some digital on like point and shoots and I was definitely shooting in JPEG in the file. I was also shooting on like small resolution to save card space so that I could mm-hmm. cram more photos into every card. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Ah, uh, those memorable photos. Do you have them? <laughs> did you keep? Uh, did you save them? Yeah, they're in there somewhere. I'd have to I'd have to dig them out. But um, it was a lot easier to manage it when it was just small JPEGs. Now that we're dealing with you know at least twenty megabyte raw files, it's it it scales up and uh, gets unmanageable pretty quickly. Yeah, it, really quickly. In fact, like yeah. if you shoot. A big dumb camera like a D800 or something. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Yeah, how, how big are those? Those are 40 megabytes or something? 36. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, and the, the 5D Mark III, those are about 25 on average. So we, um, the, we have extra problems as well because we shoot, two of us shooting, and that means things are split across at least two computers and, in fact, actually three. So we have like two iMacs and a laptop that... The, the definitive version of any photos could be on one of those three computers. So our nightmares hopefully are worse than most listeners. If you can avoid ever being in that situation, just try to get all your photos onto one computer. It's way easier to manage one Lightroom catalog than multiple. Um, so hope, hopefully that's not a common problem because honestly, I struggle with it so much. I shouldn't be giving any advice on how to manage multiple <laughs> Lightroom catalogs. <laughs> But the, uh, the, we refer hmm. to the damn book every time we talk about this. And he, mm-hmm. in his latest edition, did a special segment just for multiple catalog shooters. So, Ooh. Well, I, I'm going to have to look into that because I just started using multiple catalogs recently. Wh- why were you doing that? Well, why am I doing that? Yeah. Because um, I feel like I need to separate things because there's just too many things going on and it's starting to starting to get weird. Oh, what are you going to, what are you going to separate them by? Well, like I, I have, hold on, let me, let me just pull up the, the file and I'll just let you know. Cause so I, 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 I have given like thought a, to putting wedding, wedding photos separate. That was one thing that I was like, maybe that would make sense as a separate catalog, but yeah, well, generally I, I like to keep my personal stuff and my, um, my client work separate. Like I, I put it all on different hard drives and so it just made sense to, to have them on unique catalogs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like for this year I started three new catalogs and I have a, uh, CW. 
CWP 2015, which is the business. Then I have film 2015, and then I have personal 2015. <laughs> As so, you turn your head back and forth, it's like <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's kind of a I'm I'm kind of dealing with some technical weirdness right now. That's so. all right. My mic is trying to fall. Oh, well, yeah. Trying to escape. Uh, okay, but sorry to interrupt. You've you've got your business and your personal, and then um, so this this is what you were previously doing. You've already had this set up for a while. No, no I actually started doing this based off of a, an earlier conversation with you about having. I just decided I needed to, to change the way that I was doing it because you know I had everything all in one space and. It was getting kind of hard to find things, to be honest. Having it um, in one place. Well, this isn't, I mean... Th- th- the catalog this, was This huge. is interesting because I have a huge catalog, but I also, I mean, I don't think I advised to, to split it because I no, currently I, have mine. No, it own. wasn't, that wasn't your advice. But like okay. just through the conversation, like I started thinking about it differently. And, you know, I think that the, the best advice is to find out what works for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's intuitive so you know like where your work is all the time. Yeah, and people divide their business situations into a million different potential t- things. Like you can if you're running a portrait studio in the day and a, you know, wedding photo business on the side, maybe those make sense to be separate. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if your bur- business work and your personal work is really different, keep them separate. But for me, stock and the, so we shoot like stock blog photos, like style photos, and we shoot weddings and we shoot like magazine stuff. And so uh, a lot of those can end up in the same place except for weddings and the commercial clients because we'll never get that used for stock. But all of the personal photos may end up being stock photos as well and the blog mm-hmm. photos might. So there, there ends up kind of being like crossover and that's why I like to try to keep everything in one big searchable place so that I can, I can find, I can find things by really big groupings across, you know, years at a time without, uh, reopening a catalog or remembering which one I sorted it into. <laughs> yeah. But, but for some people it might be really clear cut. Like this is obviously a client work and has no personal value to me. It's only valuable to the client. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I may marry some of these catalogs later on, you know, just to, if they need, like, I think that what it is is that, like, I like to have a working catalog um, where, well, I'm getting to know whether or not I like it, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's a new thing. So um, the idea is that, like, I can I can quickly access recent work, you know, so I, I you know what I'm looking for all the time. I do the same thing with hard drives. So I keep it all in one catalog, but one of the hard drives is the uh, working drive, which is my internal. So my internal has like everything that I might be working on right away. And then I want faster hard drive access to it. Mm -hmm. And then my external, um, networked drive, which is going to be slower because it's over, uh, ethernet. Um, that one is the archive. So stuff that I don't need to access every day or I'm not working on right now. So what I'm dealing with right now though, is, uh, trying to basically get all of the um, 2014 photos off of my active drive, like everything that's already been dealt with, mm-hmm. move it to the archive drive. And uh, at the same time, get some keywording in there, get some like general sorting. So how would I start with a few tips of awesome ways to, to do like big sorting? Because 
the best thing is to do like really big impact stuff where you can affect thousands and thousands of photos at a time and then have general groupings for the future. Yeah, definitely. My favorite is location. So let me actually, Mm -hmm. let me open Lightroom so I can see what I'm doing. And uh, you can follow along at home and open Lightroom too, uh, unless you're driving, then don't. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the best way to deal with location is actually using the ID3 tags. You can, ID3 ID3 tags are are for podcasts, sorry. Using the EXIF data. Um, which <laughs> has a slot in it for the location, for the city, the country, the state. Um, all those details can actually be stored in a specific field in the photo so that later you can search for, show me all of the ones that are in the city, Los Angeles, or in the state, California. And you can divide those two things, which I find really helpful for, for travel photos. So, the way to do this is you can click on a photo and you'll notice in the meta data section and tell me if you're uh, following or from being confusing, Cameron. Yeah, I'm following in the library grid where you see all of your images, you can mm-hmm. click on an image, look at the metadata panel mm-hmm. and at the, the top right. it says preset. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't know if you have any created yet, but if you don't, you can go to edit presets mm-hmm. And in here, there are all of the different exit fields that you can fill in. So the first most important one, I think, is to get your copyright in there. So under IPTC copyright, I put our copyright status copyrighted, and I apply that to everything on import. Yeah. And after you've created that preset, you go to the drop down at the top and you say save current preset and you name it, uh, I don't know, copyright and <laughs> and th- that ap- that applies just these only these fields every time you import all your photos then after they're imported you can add other presets that won't ne- that won't interfere with that copyright one so it won't override it um, they kind of act independently so what you do is fill in just the location fields so um, I'll create a new preset and I'll enter the city state, and country that these were taken in. So I'll say create one that is the preset's going to be called location dash Calgary. I fill in city, Calgary, state, or sorry, province, Alberta, country, Canada, and then save that as a new preset. Um, And then I can just select everything that I've shot in the city lately, like just looking at huge batches of like weeks at a time and say, look, look, I was in Calgary for this whole time. Select all, choose that uh, metadata preset. And all it will do is override the location of, of all of those images without affecting any other presets you might've had on it. Um, So you can do other things for like, you'd have uh, clients. I think there's a field for, for, is there a field for client? Maybe not. There's a like GPS stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You can just have notes. Oh, job identifier. There you go. Credit line source. Like there's all sorts of specifics that you could use if you want to. Um, I find it easier to just choose a few really important fields that work for you. So, you know, we travel a lot. Travel makes sense for us. So um, saving that to batch images means that afterwards I can just search for the one keyword, say Calgary and find every Calgary photo I ever took. Um, did that make any sense? Absolutely. Does this translate over audio? (laughs) 
Who knows? But I, I get it because I, I think that as long as, okay, disclaimer, everybody stop, rewind, open Lightroom, <laughs> follow along. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely helps if you're actually looking at it. But the, the general principle is still there. It's like you can just type keywords. You can type freeform keywords like Calgary and then use that. But mm-hmm. it, th- there's advantages to doing this preset thing of that you can have all the different layers of the country that it was in. I mean, like, let's say you go on a tour of Europe. It can be really helpful to, like, you're, if you're only in, uh, say, a city for one day and you had a lot of different places, then it may be more interesting to see the sort it by country since Mm -hmm. you may not have a lot of photos from each place. So doing this can be really kind of like extensible. It can like, you can build a bigger system on it in the future. So again, yeah, 20 years down the road, you can look at every photo you took in your hometown and every photo you took on the road. Do you ever use the sublocation? No, what is that before? I think that that would be like a part of town, you know, like, so like a uh, neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but that's just because I don't. I, it, it hits that barrier of that much time, right? Stops having the payoff, right? I think if you were if you were doing like an extensive amount of shooting in in a single city, then maybe that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're like, um, I can imagine a lot of New York f- photographers never leave New York and uh, just you know have pictures from all the boroughs and. Yeah, and I mean, I could actually think of all the different neighborhoods in D.C. that that, that would make sense for. Right. Yeah. You know, like if somebody was like, oh, I just want to see images from Shaw or from Mount Pleasant or something like that. You know, or we could just... Let's say you're a journalist. Let's say you shoot news stuff. Mm. You might have photos from all over town, and then it becomes really relevant for for a long-term archive. Yeah, so let's let's just talk a little bit about like why this stuff is important. Well, why? Why is it important? You tell me. Well, because I think that, like, you know, it's really, it's really easy for you know. I think that most photo- people who shoot pictures, like, it's exciting to get your pictures to just start looking at them right away. So it's it's so easy to just import and like ignore everything else. You know, yeah. Ign- ignore any kind of like presets with metadata, uh, keywording any of that stuff. And it's just like, it's one of these things that's just, you know, I'm guilty of it on, on occasion. Sometimes I'm not typically when I'm working with clients, I'm, I'm less lazy about it. Right. But when it's my personal stuff, I usually don't do anything. And then I end up regretting it later. Cause if I end up wanting something there, it's not there. And then, you know, I have to add it individually later. Doing it later is horrible. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's the worst, right? It's like, um, you know, like it's. I think this is important for for stock photographers because you know when you when you add your your information, I think that adding your your you know the the um, copyright information, you know the creator, your address, all that stuff. Um, I I think that you know just automatically having that by default is is a good practice to well, be in the habit. I have of. a story of that kicking me in the ass when I left iStock Photo. Yeah. I I hoped to move my portfolio over. That was the idea, is that I was going to move a lot of it to Stocksy. But I had done all of the keywording on iStock. I had not done Same. it in Lightroom. So Same thing. I didn't own my metadata. You know, I had no possession over it. I couldn't, all that time I'd spent keywording a few thousand files on iStock. Lost. Yeah, it's, it's gone. You <laughs> Forever gone. Yeah, there's nothing yeah you and can do. you weren't the only one. I mm-hmm. mean, that happened to me. It happened to Sean Locke, who also had an, an extensive portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, I remember having conversations just about like, you know, well, what are you doing today? Um, keywording. Yeah. Still? Yeah. How long have you been keywording? Two months. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Like mm-hmm. this is serious stuff. Like 
manage your manage your work. Do it like on the spot, and you know it's it's not that hard because if you do a you know a series and, and the series is about something, you can add you know all the general keywords that apply to everything all at once. Yeah, and you know, that, and, that can be the most valuable. is just the general. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, and then you know if you need to add like a couple descriptor keywords after like. You can even do that on site if you if you know if it becomes apparent that it's not there and you need it, you know. But get get the basic, easy stuff. I'll out also of the way. say that if you don't get in a real habit of it, like if you don't know that you always do this, then at the end of the year you're going to look back and be like, oh, did I did I do it for everything? Like if I search for this client, will I find all of their photos? Or was I not doing it all year? Did I only do this for a few months when I felt inspired about keywording? Then I forgot. You can't just <laughs> reliably search your whole collection and know that you're going to come up with all the photos of whatever. So like yesterday I was looking, I was, I was doing this for the blog photos we'd been shooting, mm-hmm. but it meant that I had to spend a full hour going through just 2014 and just looking at every single photo, and it's like every time I saw a section, I'm like, okay, I know all those are blog photos. Do they have the keyword? Yes, yes, yes. Then I'd find a few that oh, I missed it here. And that, <laughs> like, when you when you can't count on your system, it becomes infinitely less useful. Like, you need to be somewhat systematic about it for it to really be powerful and valuable to you. If you if you can't depend on it. Uh, all right. So, um, do you have any recommendations for a solution to? To overcoming this this problem of missing yeah, it, it's kind of what I was hinting at before of just make it really simple, like one keyword per set or mm-hmm. two. So um, the the client name that's really the best one. And if the client is you, then you know some different projects that you work on on a regular basis. So if it's family photos, create a keyword for um, family mm-hmm. and apply that to all your family photos or. Um, you know, however you organize your life, find just a few keywords and then go back to the same ones. Always. It needs to be a system where you're reusing the same keywords. And I definitely, I have a great tip for how to structure that as well. So something I didn't understand until recently is that keywords can be both a single, like it can be a tag that is the keyword on it, but it can also become a folder. So it's, it's kind of weird. You might have to look into Lightroom for this, but for me, I've created a keyword called clients. Actually, I called it dash clients because I, then it looks different from normal keywords. I can tell it's a folder. And inside of that, you can drag other keywords. So inside of it, I have like all the people that we've shot for over the last year. And something really helpful about it is that you can right click on clients on the, you know, the, the, the one that's just being used as a folder mm-hmm. and say edit keyword and there is a checkbox for include on export. So if you turn that off, then you want to send these photos to say, iStock photo, Shutterstock, whatever. You're going to like, you're going to export the photos and use the metadata. It, it will not export the organizational keywords. So you can have a bunch of keywords that are just for yourself and nobody else will see them. So let's say it's, you know, family members, like maybe you tag the people in it by entering their names, but you don't want the whole world to see your kids' names. So then Mm -hmm. you uncheck, include on export, and it'll never show up on the photos when you go to publish them. Hmm. So, and you can do like layers of structure like this. So here, I'll I'll read you my different categories. I use uh, clients categories, which categories I haven't been really reliable with, but categories are like portraits, 
events, weddings, stuff like that. I definitely, I, I definitely always use it for weddings and I forget to use it for some of the others. I have another section called events, which is probably a symptom of a broken system that I have a duplicate there, but uh, <laughs> in, inside of events, uh, like I have like, you know, concerts or weddings or, uh, parties or like, you know, whatever we were hired to, to just cover an event. Mm -hmm. Then I have a whole section called general and that's all the stuff that gets used for stock keywording basically. So that's, you know, like adult brown hair, blue eyes, twenties, uh, ocean sky clouds, everything, you know, all the, all the specific keywords that usually you only get into that much detail when you're using the photo on, on something that needs to be searchable like stock photography. Hmm. Uh, below that, I have people, uh, and I only put a few people in there. I have, like I put a family section, a friend section, and a models section for you know models we shoot regularly. The rest explain themselves. But again, it's like there's a family top level f- folder in quotes that is uh, then has family and friends as another like keyword being used as a folder, and inside of those are the individuals, uh, and then I have film. And inside of film, I have a specific um, film stocks that I yeah. shoot on, uh, as well as cameras. So I, f- I find that an easy way to, to track it. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. I've actually that's part of uh, my 2015 catalog. One of them was for film, and I've actually instead of trying to name it by job, I'm actually creating folders for the the camera I'm using and then subfolders for the film I'm using. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know yet whether or not this is going to work, but I've it's become clear to me that I'm how I shoot with one camera is not necessarily how I'm going to shoot with another. And so I feel like they have their own vibe. So I'm trying to separate them to learn better about how it what it is that I'm creating with those. Right. Well, and, and I, see and if I can identify traits, you know. Like we talked about before doing um uploading to uh, what do you call it? Uh Flickr. Flickr. Yeah. If you want to do <laughs> if you want to put it in groups, you have to remember what you shot it on and by the time you mm-hmm. upload it you might have forgotten. So Yeah. And uh, it's really easy to to get in a in a bad habit of of writing all that stuff down. You know, it's like um I still haven't figured out you know how to, tr- you know, track the the shoot in terms of like remembering what the shutter speed and the aperture was. You know, so I don't I don't know. Like that, I, I find it kind of amazing whenever I read somebody's Flickr image description and and see that they have the aperture and the shutter yeah, speed. They like, actually keep one of those photo journals that I see them for sale in camera stores. But I was like, who <laughs> does that? Well, there's also there's there's other ways you can do it. There's you know like Nikon makes a uh, a CF card you know the reader that you can put on your hot shoe and plug into the the nine pin. I don't I don't understand what you're saying. Can you what what is this you do? Yeah, it, it's it's a you can use a CF card to to log all of the the shooting data. But wait, where does it get the data? It's going into huh? Well, you can only do it with certain cameras. Okay, but um, film cameras, you're saying? Yeah. You know, so like with the F5, you can do it. So you can you can buy this extension or the F6, yeah. um, and and it's like it's this little card reader that that sits in your hot shoe, and then it it records all of the the sh- shots. So it, it records every exposure and says exactly what you did. That is so weird. 
Yeah, so it's basically it's doing everything that the the digital does. You know, it's just tracking, you know, how you or what you did, mm-hmm. and then you know later on you can go back and add those numbers to your files if you feel like you need to. Hmm. It seems like a lot of extra work for me. <laughs> it does. I have another yeah. tip if you have a lot of extra work to spare. <laughs> uh, so in, on some of my trips, I've also done geotagging, which unfortunately still not all cameras come with GPS. I would love that to happen soon. I think it's happening more and more. But if you don't have it, like the 5D does not have it, you can use an app called, well, I use Geotagger, mm-hmm. like um, Tagger with G-E-O-T-A-G-R. This is for iPhone. I'm sure there's an Android equivalent. And it just tracks your progress as you walk around the city. And at the end of the day, you say, okay, export this GPS file. And then in Lightroom, you import it to all of those selected photos, and it'll apply the location you're at at those times. So as long as the clock on your phone and on your camera match, it'll tell you where you were at all the times throughout the day. And it actually works really well. And you can like plot your 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 day trip and, and where all that's the photos are awesome. taken. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So like as long synchronized as you, data. <laughs> yeah, it's it. The only downside is that it. You know, I find it does drain your battery a little faster. And when I'm traveling, I use my phone even more. So uh, there's times that I'm like, you know what? I just I don't want to be running a background app all day when I really need to get the most out of my battery. But um, when I have done it, I totally was grateful for it. Like in Korea, I think it's really neat. I can open the map view of um, of Lightroom and see everywhere we went every day and where each photo was taken. I think it's really an interesting way to look at things. So that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's you know it's an extra like ten twenty minutes a day, but uh, I think it's pretty cool for traveling photographers. Well, if I could rely on the battery not dying, then... Well, I just yeah. bought a new giant battery. I bought a... Wait, does it say? It's, it's got two USB inputs, and uh, it's 20,000 milliamps. <laughs> what does <laughs> MAH stand for? You don't know. It's got 20,000 <laughs> of them, and, uh, <laughs> and apparently it'll, it'll charge an iPhone seven times. So Neat. yeah, I'm looking forward to that helping on, on trips. We've got three different iPhone batteries now and we just keep buying bigger ones each time because <laughs> we use up whatever battery power we bring with us. So that's really interesting because I always wonder like people like Kevin Russ, you know, like how do they keep their phone charged when that's what they're taking photos with all the time? Yeah. I mean you could get a like Mophie juice pack. Yeah. But that's Honestly, it's not even enough. I've found, like, since my iPhone 6, if I can just complain about iPhones for a bit, does not have <laughs> enough juice. Like, I feel like it dies faster than my iPhone 5 does. It doesn't, it doesn't. That's last crazy. Cause, like, my iPhone 6 Plus, I feel like it has yeah, that, the mega battery. It's that's amazing. What everybody says, the iPhone 6 Plus is that's the reason I sh- almost got it was because I was so excited about the idea of having at least all day battery. Like people talk about getting more than all day battery. I'm telling you, like I actually, the other, I think it was probably two weeks ago, but like right after I got it, right. like I loaded up a bunch of music and went on a walk with my dog. I was out for like 45 minutes and came back and I had music on the whole time. And when I returned, my battery was still at 100%. Yeah. No, I, and I was it. like, 
I was like, what? <laughs> that yeah. is crazy. Yeah, that's the plus for you. But the, the six is not like that at all. It is, um, it, it goes, it goes quickly. I, I oh. cannot get through a day of really using it. Um, well, so. hooray for discomfort then, because the six plus really sucks in your pocket, but <laughs> it stays alive. So. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe if I'm used to this one enough, like if I really get used to the added size of the six, maybe I'll go to the six plus later. But uh. you know what else is kind of funny about it is that um, whenever anybody sees it, they they kind of laugh, you know. They're kind of like, oh, you got the plus. <laughs> uh, that's uh, no, that's 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 because it's new. It won't be like that next year. No, totally. But the, here's the here's the funny part is that you know then you, you you hand it to them and say, hey, like you know, take some photos with it, and use it, and then you know they start seeing it. They look on Instagram stuff like that. This is actually a real world incident that just happened, and uh, that person turned around and went and bought one the next day. <laughs> I think I I don't know I may end up getting it the next time I, after I'm really comfortable with this like there's a lot of appealing things about it it's like almost an iPad mm-hmm. you know a phablet yeah I, I'm glad we're doing an Apple show finally should we call it a phoblet <laughs> um and that that was all the stuff I had about Lightroom do you want to move to the whatever section of the of the broadcast. Yeah, let's talk about whatever. So what, you ordered a camera. <laughs> Again, what the heck's wrong with me? How many I, act like I, got, I act like I have money and I, I'm like not. I don't have that much money. Well, like, you are buying think, all used cameras, right? And you're yeah, selling I, your old ones. Yeah, I've been, it's been a lot of like trading and, and stuff. But like I have to be careful because my wife is probably going to kill me. Um, I didn't even tell her that this <laughs> we did this yet. So when she finds out, I'm sure she'll be. When she hears this. Yeah. Well, what did you you get though? Um, I got a Nikon FM3A. Mm -hmm. Well, I ordered it. Like I'm I'm expecting it Monday. So I'm really excited because when I bought the the F5, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted. And I I really wasn't sure that I wanted to spend, you know, a, a deal of money on a 35 millimeter camera. It just didn't feel like something I really cared to do. You know, because 35 is is only so good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so one of the draws or drawbacks that I found about having the F5 is just it's it's a tank. It's just, you know, it's an amazing camera, but it, it's, it weighs so much that it's, you know, it just doesn't feel like worth shooting 35 on. Well, I you know? think which was appealing at the time. Like, there's still people have that feeling. We, we were Chris and I were talking about this last week of that you want to have something bigger and more professional to look like more of a professional. <laughs> but when you can look back on 35 stuff, it feels different. It's like I don't need like a motor drive in here or six extra batteries. Or like I don't. There's the the extra space isn't really offering that much value. No, it's it's completely unnecessary, and it just makes your bag heavy, and that's that's a drag, mm-hmm. you know. You know the stuff that I want to shoot on thirty five, like I want it to be easy, and I want it to be not intimidating. Totally, I've um, been thinking more and more about the. That's why I've been using the point and shoot more and more this year. Mm-hmm. And also, when I'm bringing around the SLR, I've been putting the pancake lens on the film camera a lot of the time, the the forty mil, to make yeah, it so, all feel really compact. Yeah, that's it's a good feeling, right? I mean, I just I like it. So the the FM3A is is actually a, a good amount smaller than the DF, which is 
you know, half the size of my D800. So I like this course that I'm on. Yeah. Just getting smaller and smaller yet like retaining some of the quality. And the, you know, from what I understand, I know uh, several people that that have this camera already or have had this camera and and basically it's it's Nikon's Leica, if you will. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's the best like manual but film not camera. A rangefinder. No, it's not. It's 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 still an SLR, but it's it acts sort of like a rangefinder, just in the in the quality and construction and, and the way it feels in your hand and all that stuff. So it looks beautiful. From, yeah, it's 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 basically it's the it's what they designed DF after was was this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could probably say that it was uh it was it was a natural course, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, they're all, you know it's built off the the original F design, so and then just gradually changed. But yeah, it's it's a sexy camera, and you know I'm just so excited. I can't wait to get it. And I got a lens that came with it. The guy was just trying to get rid of it. He just he's moved on to uh, to a Leica system, and so he was looking to get rid of the stuff that he had. And so I'm getting the uh, it's a 24 mil 2.8 AIS Nikon lens, which it's is real wide. Manual. It's wide for you. It is wide, and you know, I, I thought about it, and I was just like, you know, I don't have anything wide, and um, it's so small. It's small, it's light, and it's really durable. And I thought, you know what, that seems right to me. I'll it's try funny, that. When, when I think about wide lenses and putting them on my SLR, I don't find it really appealing. Like I don't do it very often. Mm-hmm. But then when I think about my iPhone, like I like my iPhone range, and I believe it's what twenty-seven millimeter equivalent. Yep, and I love shooting with it. I shoot with it all the time, and right? <laughs> I'm really comfortable with that. But I, for some reason, I don't feel inclined to use something similar on an SLR. And I, well, it's because you have an iPhone. I don't know why? I guess. I, well, there was a great example at a shoot. We were shooting um, in a field last week, and I was using the 70 to 200, which we use for most of the blog photos for the whole shoot. And mm-hmm. uh, we'd finished, and they were like, okay, let's grab a few more for Instagram. And I took some wide photos on the phone, and I loved them. Like, I could see the whole sky, and this guy had, like, really beautiful clouds, and it was, like, a really wide shot. And I'm like, why did I not get this on the real camera? Just because I was so – I was thinking in terms of a closer shot because mm-hmm. I had a long lens on. And it kind of, like, trapped me into, like, looking for some nice bokeh and looking for the things you want, like, compression, like, the things that you like about a 70 to 200 – but then seeing it come out of an iPhone, I was like, God, I wasn't even seeing this, like how nice the scene could be when it was really wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like I kind of I kind of go back and forth, you know, like I, I, I like I like wide angles sometimes. It just really depends on what it is that I'm that I'm shooting. Um, when I'm in the city, I like I love using a wide angle. You know, just because you never know. Well, and I think people give general advice of, you know, don't shoot people with wide angles. No, right. totally like, not. Yeah, <laughs> that's, but 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 the thing is, is you can if you're doing it the right way. Like on an iPhone, it's not like people say don't take pictures of people on iPhones. You just need to be strategic about it. You don't put them in the. You don't put people's faces in the corner where they're going to get distorted. You don't exactly. get too close. You you just shoot to accommodate the the scene and the lens, and yeah, and you, pay attention to where the, that distortion is taking place, so totally. you're not placing them in a, in a weird place. I mean, you can even get, you know, really ugly distortion from a 50 millimeter, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. if you're not careful. So well, and the place to look for it, like if for listeners, if you haven't really realized where it is, it, basically keep people in the center of your 
lens and there won't be that distortion on an iPhone. Like mm-hmm. uh, if you basically, if you shoot horizontal photos, for example, um, I find I encounter the distortion less often. And when I'm shooting vertical photos, sometimes I'll make a composition where the per- the person's head is towards the top of the frame, kind of like a normal portrait. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to see like the forehead stretch up a little bit. Yeah. Like it starts getting <laughs> weird. Long eyebrows or something. <laughs> yeah. So if you, it's funnily enough, that's one thing Instagram encourages is if you're shooting square and you're putting mm-hmm. everything in the center, you're usually going to completely avoid it. It's, it, it, it's actually helpful for that. You mm-hmm. kind of can't take a square photo and hit that same distortion. It's only when you're using the, the edges of the frame. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that you can, you know, use that same logic when shooting portraits with a wide angle. And like, you know, I think that, um, I don't know about you. I think it, this actually applies to you because I see lots of, uh, kind of far out portrait shots. You know, so like, are you always using a lawn lens when you're taking like these environmental type portraits? Yeah, yeah. You're just standing across the street or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I seventy to two hundred. Like, if you look at Anya's blog, this is where I was when I was going through and tagging all of our Lightroom photos. Mm-hmm. Over half of our photos last year were tagged for her blog, so a lot. Like, that's a lot of what we're shooting, and almost all of that is with seventy to two hundred. We rarely use anything else, mm-hmm. and usually towards the two hundred end. Um, but then I don't know, I'm trying to think of like what other thing, like when I'm shooting, I don't know when I'm more of in just a, a unpredictable environment, I pr- kind of prefer the 50, mm-hmm. um, cause I can get a little more of the scene in there. I can shoot, uh, faster. I can shoot 1.4. Um, yeah. I mean, if you shoot wide open, you can usually deal with whatever other, elements are there that you don't want so it's not that big of a deal yeah so i'm not always doing the same thing it depends what i'm going to walk into but then i do the same thing when i when i know what it's going to be um which yeah so a a, a lot of it's the 70 to 200 um but what what was what was my point (laughs) (laughs) what was your point i don't know you asked if i always use it environmental (laughs) portraits oh yeah so like street photography yeah traveling if we're gonna like walk around a city i don't want the 70 to 200 yeah god it sounds just miserable no yeah (laughs) no um it has to happen sometimes but usually i try to do either the 40 uh, put the pancake lens on if i'm not anticipating any serious important photos Mm -hmm. or if i'm a bit more focused on actually shooting uh, then i'd bring the 50 so yeah yeah i'm still just totally crazy for that sigma 50 just love that lens. It's so good. Yeah, actually, I actually used great. it today. No, oh, yeah. yeah, I did a uh, I did a uh, session with a couple today in DC. They wanted something specifically DC related, so we did that. And I'm anxious to see because I shot a couple rolls of film um, with the fifty. Oh, yeah, that's what you you posted this on Instagram, right? Yeah, that was that was actually that was just an iPhone shot. But, yeah. um, I did I did take these. Yeah, that couple. And, you know, on the Fuji 400 Pro H, so curious to see what the results look like. Because I haven't really had that much success with, with that film. So in, you know. in, in the scanning processes where it falls apart, right? 
Yeah, more than that. I think it was because, like, uh, up until you know, I started hearing more about other people's successes with it. I was shooting at box speed, and it doesn't oh, really yeah. react very well at box speed. You gotta over overexpose yeah. this stuff, or it looks terrible. But the same goes for the portrait, right? I mean, most people say you want to expose the portrait. They say that, but I've had I've had great luck with shooting box speed with portrait. So. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I can just, see that you're just forced into it more with the Fuji. Like you have yes, to. Yes. Like I feel like the the Fuji is actually like a you know like a 160 when it when it says 400. So mm-hmm. it's misleading because if you shoot it at 400 or it, it, God God forgive you if you shoot it at 800. <laughs> oh my God! I just don't even know. I don't even know what to expect. I'm sure that somebody's had some great luck with it, but yeah, I think it's just a, it's a fickle film for me. And so you know, I don't really trust it enough to 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 play outside of the realm where I know it works. So I'm curious because, you know, hopefully today I, I, I did it right and, you know, I'll be pleased. I'm hoping. Cool. And if yeah. not, you know, then I shot everything on digital too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything you're into this week that is, uh, other, other than your new camera? Well, I mean, I'm always into music, right? Yeah, you are. Anything, yeah. So any recommendations? Yeah, the uh, the new Sufjan Stevens record is oh, is right. beautiful. I it's, downloaded it and I didn't put it on yet. Oh, it's 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 hip, it's hypnotizing, and you gotta. You're, it's a quiet record, so you have to really um, give it the time. You know, uh, I would listen to it a couple times. Like maybe, do you listen to music when you go to bed? Mm, no, I listen to podcasts when I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Um, if you're doing like an afternoon nap or something, <laughs> okay. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's like for me, it's, it's way too chill to listen to when I'm working because like I, I just can't. Then, then I it turns into to, an afternoon nap. Yeah, totally. Like I need something to, to motivate me, but, um, I actually, uh, I've been listening to it every day for the past week and, uh, I put it on in the car this morning on my way to the shoot and I'll tell you, it just put me in a good place, you know? Oh. And and uh, it's 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 nice to hear new music from from him that that is really pleasing because I've liked some of the the recent stuff, but it hasn't been as as engaging as you know uh, Michigan and Illinois were. Yeah, so yeah. Illinois is still the like the high water mark of his stuff for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, and this is you know this is different, but the the melodies are God, they're they're brilliant, man. They What's really the are, called again. Uh, something in Lowell. Hold on. It's his parents, uh, Carrie and Lowell. Hmm. I thought he was going to do all 50 states. What happened to that? Yeah, I think that that, that was just a little more ambitious than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, I think he, he probably could have like condensed some states and done like five states in one, like, or maybe just like the South, right? <laughs> or like, you know, New England. <laughs> Instead of like, I'm going to do all 50 states because no, you're not. There's not enough time in your life. Especially when you're as musically ambitious as he is. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm going to recommend another app this week. Mm-hmm. It's called Legend, and it makes really awesome word animations. That's that's like all it is. It makes like beautiful introductory moving text that you can use for video, and it's like free and amazing. Oh no, wait, it's not free. It was like a buck fifty. Oh well, we could have used that last week for what? For some of the uh, the Stoxy oh, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were actually we were looking for something, and it was really late, and everybody was exhausted, and we didn't actually find anything quickly quickly enough. Well, now you know. Um, I yeah. mean, it only does like square format. I don't know what resolution it's actually exporting at, but uh, 
it's awesome. So check it out. Hmm. That's neat. And uh, yeah, that's that's all we got this week. Yeah. Don't you listen to music? Yeah, but like I listen to nineties <gasps> music. Like I was listening to Radiohead again this week. <laughs> well, I was listening to um, the new Tom York record. So there's a new that. Tom York record. Yeah. What's it called? Um, hold on. It's called the UK Gold, and it's all new original Tom York content. Well, yeah, it's 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 not like it's more of an of a just music. It's it's like trancey kind of stuff, and it's uh, with him and trancey like the way a racer head or whatever was called was or what, what was the last one is it totally different or is this like no it's 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 kind of like it's a little natural bit natural evolution than yeah it's not like a natural evolution I, I there's no singing it's just oh like yeah. edm yeah exactly huh but it's pretty cool it's it's you know i'm not i'm not flipping out about it the other one i'm i'm really liking is uh is uh jeff tweedy just released a, a solo record jeff tweedy who's that Wilco. Oh, okay. Is he the main guy? Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah, and it's called uh, Suki Ray, and you know, like some of the tracks are just hot business, man. <laughs> See, I can just wait for your recommendations, and that's how I'll listen to new music now. Yeah, I mean, I figure that that's what, this is my my part of, you know, what we into, is just to, well, telling people what to listen to. Honestly, the reason that I don't listen to much music is podcasts. Like, I'm listening to like 12 podcasts a week now, and often one audiobook, And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just like, I get hooked on that type of content. And then when I'm looking for something to put on, it doesn't end up being music, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, obviously I appreciate podcasts, but like, you know, and I, I make time for them, but, um, my, the way that I like to communicate is through music. I think that like, it's just a different form of communication that's less literal and makes me kind of you know, think and feel in a different way. And yeah, it's just, I, I just enjoy it. I, I totally know what you mean here. I'm going to, I'm going to open up Sonos. Let me see what I was listening to last. Okay. Earlier this week, I was listening to a mix of OK computer mm-hmm. and, uh, it was randomizing between that and blink 182. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. I was just in a nineties mood. Yeah, no, I was too. Like I've been, uh, I think we might have actually talked about this weeks ago, but like, I can't stop listening to uh, the Promise Ring. Oh yeah, I uh, I ended up listening to um, a shuffled iTunes or YouTube version of some uh, Promise Ring stuff this week because you yeah. sent me a really good track and it was nice. Yeah, I love it. It's just uh, nothing feels good is 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 my favorite. I just I just I can play it any day, and it doesn't get old to me. It just keeps me bouncing makes me feel good makes me feel happy and it's so simple which is kind of funny because i don't really like simple music that much i usually like really complicated and heady music and right so you're you're a math rocker totally and this one just like it just works it's just perfect it's perfection mm-hmm. get that cool i will yeah thanks cameron yeah man thank you see you next week <laughs>